What is the one thing that separates us as believers from the rest of the world? What is this one thing that causes us as believers to have different attitudes and different actions and different priorities that causes us to lead different lives from all the rest of the world? What is this one thing for believers that makes all the difference? It is the difference between guilt and forgiveness. It is the difference between life and death, heaven and hell, hope and hopelessness, light and darkness, joy and defeat. What is the one thing for believers that separates us from the rest of the world? You ever think about that? Uh, what is the one thing that makes us different that separates us from the rest of the world? Well, I want you to hear me this morning. That one thing, it is the truth of Jesus Christ. That is the thing. That's what makes us different from all the rest of the world. It is the truth of Jesus Christ. That is the one thing that for believers changes all other things. And it is the one thing that for believers all other things hinge upon. And so here's the deal this morning. So we have to be radically consumed with that one thing. Listen to me, today in the church, the day for sure that we're living in, we have to be radically consumed with the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, there is a movement in our day, it has been a growing movement, that says that getting along with others or not offending others is more important than standing on the truth of Jesus Christ. Well, uh, we're going to begin today, and the questions that we're going to start with are this. So therefore, the question, the first question is this, so therefore, do you know the truth of Jesus Christ? Do you personally know the truth of Jesus Christ? The second question is this, will you then stand for the truth of Jesus Christ? Maybe a better question is, are you standing on the truth of Jesus Christ. Does your life reflect that? If we were to survey what you do, if we were to survey your life, does it reflect that you're standing on the truth of Jesus Christ? And then the third question is this, do you hate, and yes, I did say hate, do you hate any teaching, any system, any religion that would lead away from the truth of Jesus Christ. There is one thing that matters, and that is the truth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation. Now, today, we are moving along to the 17th chapter, and in this chapter, we see part of God's judgment and part of God's victory is the removal of false religion in the world. In God's judgment, the truth prevails and the false is judged, it is defeated, and it is removed. Praise the Lord for that. Today our message is entitled, Defeated to Deceive No More. Defeated to Deceive No More. Again, we're in Revelation chapter 17. We're going to look at the entirety of the chapter, all 18 verses. Uh, I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor of the, re uh, the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 through 18, defeated to deceive no more. Beginning in the first verse, God's word says this, then one of 
the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me saying, come here. I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality. And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life, from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must remain a little while. The beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth, and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet deceived a ki received a kingdom, the, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. He said to me, the waters which you saw with the heart upon which the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw and the beasts, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. The woman which you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we're thankful for a Savior, Jesus. We're thankful that today we have hope that stands and endures, that we have peace in the finished work of our Lord Jesus. Lord, we come and I, I pray that you have been pleased that you are Please, in our meeting today, I pray that you are known, that you receive great glory in our, in our hour together this morning. Lord, I pray as we begin to study your word, as we read through this 17th chapter, I pray, Lord, that it would not be a normal event, that it wouldn't be just a lecture or a passing on of information, but I pray, Lord, that you would speak, and it would surely be a supernatural event, and we would be built up as the church. We would be encouraged and strengthened in the church. And I pray for some that will hear the message of, of peace through the gospel of Jesus Christ today. Lord, I pray that in the hearing of the gospel, 
that today would be the day of their salvation. Any hindrance to that would be removed. And I pray, Lord, that in all of this, that you are greatly glorified. Our King, the Lamb who was slain and yet lives again, that your name would be made known. We, we praise you, we worship you, we love, we love you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we begin today, we need to be sure and understand any religion, any teaching, any system not in line with the word of Christ is opposed to the person of Christ. Now, understand that. Any teaching not in line with the word of Christ, therefore, is opposed to the person of Christ. In any religion, any teaching, any system deviating from the truth of Christ exists in hatred for Christ. It's that, it's that profound. Any teaching, a system that deviates from the truth of Christ exists in hatred for Christ. And any religion, any teaching, any system deviating from the truth of Christ stands and serves as an agent of Satan. Now listen, that's a profound statement. That's a, that's a heavy statement, but that is the biblical truth. Any teaching, uh, any religion, any system that, that deviates from the truth of Jesus Christ, it stands and it serves as an agent of Satan. It is that big of a deal. Here's what I've noticed, especially in the day in which we're living. Today, uh, sometimes we will say, and, and maybe sometimes we think, that these uh, false religions that are all around us, I could name a few, uh, some of them right here close to us, uh, these, these false religions, sometimes we, we say or we think, well, they're not all that bad, are they? Well, they, they, they uh, seem to be good people. They're not all that dangerous, are they? Well, when you look at them, they, they seem to be well-meaning, and, and, and we kind of make an excuse for these false religions. And in doing so, we are forgetting or we are overlooking the fact that if they bear their fruit, they will end with people missing Jesus, lost in the reality of hell. And so we look around and say, well, they seem to be good folks, and they seem to be somewhat like us, and, and, and you know what, they seem to be very well-meaning in their intent. And we overlook the fact that if you walk out their teaching, if you follow their fruit uh, to its full production, it's going to end with people missing Jesus, lost in the reality of hell. That is the goal of Satan. That is the plan and the mission of Satan. It is that big. Well, today in our study, we're going to see that God judges these agents of lies, these false teachers of non-truth, and in his blessing, in his judgment, but also in his blessing, they are defeated, and praise the Lord, they are removed. Today we pick up in a description of the seventh bowl, uh, the final bowl of God's judgment that is being poured out. Uh, this description, if you remember, it started last week in the 16th chapter. Uh, this description is going to continue all the way into the 19th chapter. Now, understand, we are learning, what we are learning of is the final judgment of God poured out on sin and on sinners outside of Jesus Christ. And so these truly are the final things. This is the final judgment of God poured out on sin and on sinners outside 
of Jesus Christ. Now, maybe when we read through that 17th chapter, maybe you did like I did a couple weeks ago, you think, man, that's a wild chapter. Uh, that's hard to understand. That's a complicated thing. Uh, once again, we're going to see the best way to approach it is to jump just right into it. So we're going to start back this morning in the first verse. Chapter 17, verse 1 says this. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. In verse 1 here, one of the angels who had one of the seven bowls came and spoke to John. Now, we're not sure which angel it was. There's some that try to figure that out. I, I looked. I don't think there's any way to know which angel it was. But one of the angels who had one of the seven bowls came and spoke to John. Uh, he tells them that he is going to show him the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, uh, there's a couple of things that we need to settle right here. Uh, this great harlot for sure is the topic of much discussion and in much speculation. There's a lot of folks that talk about uh, the identity of this great harlot. There's some that would say uh, it was the Roman Empire, and they would tie to that. Maybe it's a, a renewal of the Roman Empire. There's some that would say that. Uh, there are some, and maybe many, that would say it is the Catholic Church. Uh, Martin Luther and others taught that it was the Catholic Church described here in the 17th chapter. Uh, there are many other ideas that are taught or promoted uh, on the identity of this harlot as well. Well, lucky for you, uh, I'm going to save you some grief, and I'm just going to tell you this. Um, I believe the harlot is any and all systems of false religion. Now, that's what I believe. I believe very simply the, the harlot here is referring to all false religion. In the Bible, in many, many places, the description of a harlot refers to those who betray the one true God, who rebel against the word of God, and who ultimately rejects the gospel of God. And being identified as a harlot in Scripture symbolized idolatry and false worship. You could go across uh, the Old Testament, you can move into the New Testament as well. And being identified as a harlot symbolized a turning to or an embracing of idolatry and false worship. Again, be very sure here, any deviation from the truth is a slander of and a rejection of God's gracious truth. Notice at the end of verse 1, it says... Uh, the harlot sits on many waters. Uh, this is going to be explained to us. It's going to be made very plain to us uh, later in verse 15, uh, as the many peoples of the earth. And so uh, this great harlot sits on uh, the, the many peoples of the earth or the population of the entire earth. Now, I want you to see this. Understand this. You either worship the one true God or you are deceived and you practice idolatry. Uh, we could have all these other divisions, but it's really as simple as that. You either worship the one true God, or if you're not, what you are doing is uh, the, the practice of idolatry. You are deceived and practice idolatry. 
Uh, most of the world, sadly, we find is misled and is deceived and is caught up in false worship. It was that way in that day. It's that way in our day as well. And so the waters, those represent the peoples of the world. Verse 1 again. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here. I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Verse 2 with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. Verse 2 goes on and it says, on these false religions, we find practicing them the kings of the earth. And that's what verse 2 says here. I want you to think about that for just a second. Notice today, think about today, how many rulers, whatever their title is, uh, how many nations today or how many kingdoms today are built upon false religions. And you start to think about that. You think about different areas of the world. You think about different ideologies in those areas. And how many nations today, how many leaders of those nations uh, practice or, or have, have been built upon false religion. When I think about that, it's almost all of them. Uh, there are Muslim nations. We could list them. There are Hindu nations. We could list them. There are Buddhist nations. We could list them. Well, it says here, the kings follow the false religions. I think sometimes and many times they use those false religions to strengthen their own position. Well, the kings follow those false religions, but it also says as do most of the people in those nations. Now think about that. Not just the leader of those nations, but most of the people in those nations. It says they are drunk with the wine of her immorality. I want you to be sure of this. False religion and the rejection of the truth always shows up in perverseness Wickedness and gross immorality. Now, that's, that's, that's the fact. That's, that's the result. Listen to that again. False religion and the rejection of the truth always shows up, always makes itself known in perverseness and wickedness and gross immorality. Let me take a side note here for just a second. In our nation today, look at our nation today. You watch the things happening in our nation today, unimaginable. You look at the news today, things that just five years, ten years ago would have been unimaginable. Uh, it's in all nations, but in our nation today, here's the truth. When you set down the truth, when you set down the truth, what shows up? Perverseness, wickedness, gross immorality. Isn't that what we see in our nation today? You know what, it's too dumb to follow the word of God and it's too simple to follow the word of God and it's too restrictive to follow the word of God and we'll not follow the word of God. We'll mock the word of God and what shows up in our nation is perverseness and wickedness and gross immorality. That is the formula and it holds true. Verse three. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names having seven heads and ten horns. In verse 3, the angel carries John 
uh, to another or to a different vantage point uh, to further see the judgment of the woman. Now, remember the, the purpose here is that he could see the judgment of the woman. Well, now they go to a different vantage point to further see the judgment of this woman. Verse 3 says she is sitting on a scarlet beast. Now, understand the beast is the beast from chapter 13. We've already been introduced to this beast. We've already had the description of this beast in chapter 13. It is the Antichrist. It is the false Christ, the agent of Satan. The beast here has the same description it did in chapter 13, full of blasphemous names. Uh, remember the Antichrist is going to claim to be God, claim to be the Christ. And so his names that are attached to him are going to be names of blasphemy. It says he also has seven heads and ten horns. We'll see that more in a second. Verse 4. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. I want you to notice the description. I want to read that verse again. Listen to this description. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. Notice the description here. Here she is, and she is dressed in purple and in scarlet. We have known in our studies uh, that is the color of wealth. That is the color of majesty. And so here she is, and she wears the finest clothes. She wears the colors of wealth and majesty. The description goes on, and she has on her body fine gold, and maybe it's earrings, maybe it's necklaces and rings, but she has fine gold, and she has all of the precious jewels, and she has pearls that decorate her, and she looks so sophisticated. It says, in her hand is a golden cup. Uh, notice the picture here. She appears luxurious and, and attractive and even royal. When you look over, she looks to be somewhat royal. But I want you to notice this. In her cup, it says, are the abomination. That means the things hated by God and the unclean things of her immorality. Here, here's what I want you to see. She seems so impressive. She seems so alluring, and yet here's the truth. She is filthy and vile and impure. She is corrupt and evil and wicked. And so here she comes, and she has all the fancy clothes, and she looks like she has all of the wealth and all of the jewels, and she looks like she might be something. And when you get close, you see she is actually vile and wicked, corrupt and evil. Verse 5. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery. Babylon the great, the mother of the harlots, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. In verse 5 she is named. It says on her head it is written. Uh, John says a mystery. Some folks think that's part of her name. It's not part of her name. Uh, a mystery is something that is revealed. That's the, that's the nature of a mystery. It is something that is found out. And so he says here who she is, it is a mystery. It's about to be revealed. He says, I'm about to reveal it. Then he says her name is on her head, Babylon the Great. Again, I believe that represents all false 
religions or false religious systems. Then he calls her the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Now what that means is the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. Now that means they come from her. They originate from her. All right, I want you to see this. Get this. All sin comes from the rejection of the truth. All sin comes from the turning away of the truth. That's, that's the matter of fact, and that's what it's saying right here. Uh, she, she is the great uh, preacher of lies, the system of false religion, and coming from her are all the abominations, all, all the wicked sins that God hates on the earth. Today, how do you end up with this transgender mess that we see in our world, in our universities, our, our medical schools? How in the world do you end up with the idea there's more than two genders? How do you end up today with marriage being seen as unnecessary? We'll redefine it. We don't have to participate in that. How do we see today the accepting of homosexuality as normal? It, it is normal. I'll just go ahead and tell you any sin for that matter. How do you go and accept it as normal? The truth of the matter is, it is when you turn aside from the truth of God's word that these things take place. And so here she is, the false religious system. Here she is, the preacher of lies opposed to the truth of God's word. And coming from her are all the sins that God hates on the earth. False religions are based upon, they are built upon the denial of truth. And therefore its fruit is all of the evil and wicked abominations before God. Verse 6. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. See this, it's, it's a fact. False religion kills what it opposes. Notice that. False religion, it still happens today, kills what it opposes. False religion believes the easiest way to silence the truth is to kill the speakers of the truth. And that's, 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 that's the matter of the fact. A false religion wants to silence the truth, wants to stop the spread of the truth. Well, false religion, false religion believes the easiest way to do that is to kill the speakers of the truth. We saw that with the Old Testament prophets. They come up and say, thus saith the word. We're not liking the message that God has sent, and so we kill the prophet. They didn't like their message, and so they kill him. It's the same way with Jesus. He comes and not only preaches the truth, he is the truth. And so you know what? In opposition to the truth, they try and they kill Jesus, thinking that'll be the end of it. It's the same way with the apostles. They come and say, this is the truth of the gospel. And so they kill the apostles. It is still the same today. John says here, seeing the harlot, Seeing this scene, the, seeing Babylon the Great, it says he wondered greatly. Now, it's, it's bigger than, than I think the language reports to us here. Uh, in, the, in the literal translation, in the, in the translation of the Greek word, it means this. He was amazed with amazement. It, it's really a picture of being blown away, of being dumbfounded. He is amazed as he looks at the scene. He is amazed 
with amazement. He is, he is looking and he's thinking, what in the world am I seeing? What in the world is all of this? And he's blown away, amazed in amazement. Verse seven, and the angel said to me, why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Verse 7, the angel says, why are you amazed? I think that's a pretty great question. They hate God. They reject the truth of the gospel. They are actual agents of Satan. Why are you amazed? I think it's the same today when we see those that are in opposition to the truth, those that are opposed to Jesus Christ, and we see the tactics that they hold. We see the vile things that they do. We say, I'm amazed. Why are we amazed? They hate God. They hate the truth of Jesus. The angel says, why are you amazed? I'll show you. Verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose names, whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. All right, this is a strange verse. Let me explain it to you. Uh, verse 8 describes the beast. Uh, the beast, remember from chapter 13, it is the Antichrist described there in chapter 13. Remember of the Antichrist, he will die or at least he will appear to die and then he will come to life again. Uh, the world will see that. Uh, they will be enamored with that and that is how he is going to build his great following. We sometimes wonder, how does he get such a great following? That is the main way. He will appear to die, come to life again. Many folks will be fooled, and they will follow him. It says here, the lost people of the world, they will be amazed, and they will be fooled in their amazement. Let's go to verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 10. And they are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. Let's go verse 11. The beast which was, was and is not is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven. And he goes to destruction. Now, I want you to stay very close here. Listen very carefully. Stay with me. The angel says, here is wisdom. That's how that first verse starts. Here is wisdom. In effect, he is saying, pay attention. Listen up. Listen very closely here. He is going to explain it. So here it is. The seven heads, they are the seven mountains on which these false religions sit. Now, the seven heads, if you remember back this far, we saw this. They are the seven world empires. Uh, they have seven kings or seven leaders, seven rulers. Uh, all of these empires were set against God or they will be set against God. Now, let me, let me just go through them with you right here. They are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. Uh, those were the five that were. They have fallen. The five that were but have fallen. So those are the first five. They were. They existed and they have fallen, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. As John wrote, it says, one that is. 
That was speaking of the Roman Empire, which ruled in his day. And so there were five. They have come and gone. There is one that is in his day is talking of the Roman Empire. It goes on and it says, the seventh has not yet come, uh, but it is coming. And that is the empire or that is the kingdom of the beast. That is the empire of the Antichrist. The Bible says that that empire will exist only for a little while. Now, if that's not weird enough, uh, in a weird statement in verse 11, uh, John is informed that the seventh ruler, the beast, will also be the eighth, which is strangely part of the seventh. Now, listen with me here. Stay with me. He is informed that the, the seventh ruler, the beast, will also be the eighth, which is strangely part of the seventh. Now, maybe uh, this eighth kingdom will be seen as an eighth kingdom, or maybe the eighth will be an extension of the seventh kingdom. We're not sure, but here's what we know. Be sure to remember this. Uh, this Antichrist, he will not come and go like the previous rulers. And you go back and you look at all of those kingdoms and you look at all of their leaders, uh, and they came and went. But of this Antichrist, here's what it tells us. He is going to destruction. Now listen, we know that's going to the lake of fire. We're going to see that in a couple of weeks. And so the ruler of the seventh kingdom, the empire of the Antichrist, he will be dispatched at one time into the lake of fire. Verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. Uh, the ten horns, uh, they are not these empires like the seven heads, uh, but they are kings or rulers who will come into power, who will exist in the end days of the tribulation. It says they will lead their kingdoms to unite with the beast, to unite with the Antichrist. And so these do not exist as of yet. In the latter days of the tribulation, these ten nations will come up and these will be their ten leaders. Their purpose will be to unite with the Antichrist. Verse 13. These have one purpose and they give their power and authority to the beast. Verse 13 tells us they exist with one goal and that is to unite with the Antichrist to submit to the plan of the Antichrist to fight against the Lamb. That is their mission. That is their goal. That is what is going to take place. Here is the Antichrist, and he comes, and he leads an evil empire. These ten kings, they take their place, and they submit to him, join in with him, to fight against the Lamb. That was described to us in chapter 16 as the battle of Armageddon. Verse 14. Listen to verse 14. It's awesome. These... Man, can you imagine that? All of those armies, all of those people, all of those resources, can you imagine that? These will wage war against the Lamb. With all they have, with all of their resource, with a singular mission, they're going to wage war against the Lamb. And listen to this. And the Lamb will overcome them because He is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are called and are, are called and chosen and faithful. Get this. That's a lot of stuff, <laughs> and that's a lot of things to think about. 
to get to this point. But here's the point. Listen to me very carefully. Here we've come. We've traveled through all that. And all that we travel through, we wade through it to get to this point. Listen very carefully. Here's the point. The truth prevails. The truth prevails. That's what verse 14 tells us. Jesus wins. All of the armies of the earth will mount up, but Jesus wins. The lamb who was slain and yet lives again. The Messiah, Jesus, the Christ of God, our Lord, our King, and our Savior. The Bible says here, he overcomes, listen, not he overcomes because he's not a lie. He overcomes because he's not a fraud. He's not a poser. He's not a perpetrator. The reason he overcomes is because he is the truth and he is the Lord of all the lords. He is the king of all the kings. It's not a fraudulent throne that he sits on. It is his throne. He truly is the Lord and the king. And because of that, he prevails. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Says this, and he, not only does he win, but with those who are with him, called, chosen, and faithful, they are also in on the victory. I want to pause right here for just a second. How do we be known as chosen and faithful? I, I read that, I think, I, I don't want to miss that. How, how, do, how do I be known as chosen and faithful. And, I, and I, man, is there some way I can make sure that's true of me? Is there something I can do to, to take care of that? Uh, it, what, what is the deal with that? Listen very carefully. In God's plan, his gracious plan, God has chosen for those who will stand with him in victory and that they are those who will trust him as Lord and Savior. Listen very carefully. If you want to be counted as the chosen, trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I don't know if I'm the chosen. I don't know if, my, if, I've, if I've pushed down sin to an extent that some preacher somewhere is impressed with me enough to count me as the chosen. Listen to me. You want to be counted as the chosen, friend. You trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you'll stand in victory on that day. Praise the Lord. Verse 15. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. There's more explanation in the 15th verse, again, telling us where the, what the waters are there, the peoples of the earth. I want you to notice, and I want you to watch what happens in verse 16 and 17. And the ten horns which you saw, and the beast, these will, hold on a second, hate the harlot and will make, hold on a minute, I thought they were on the same side. And the ten horns which you saw, and the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. Verse 17, for God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. Of all the things that I have learned in these years, I've been, I've been a pastor now for, I think, 17, 17 and a half years. Of all the things that I have learned in these years, one of the things that I am confident of, one of the things that I trust in, is that the truth will always stand. And I want to tell you, I learned that in doses, and I learned that piece by piece, but it has always proved true. The truth 
will always stand. And so I want to tell you, if this is the word of God, and it is the word from God, and I'm declaring it as the truth, I don't have to be uh, scared. I don't have to be leery of what it is I'm saying. If I tell you the creation account uh, occurred as it does in the word of God, I don't have to be fearful of that. Any, any subject that I go to, I don't have to be worried because I have learned the truth will stand. The truth will stand. It will endure. It will hold up as true. You know why? Not because I preached it. The reason it will hold up as true is because it is true. You know what doesn't stand? Non-truth. Watch, hang around long enough. Watch out. You know what doesn't stand? Lies do not stand. Non-truth does not stand. In these verses, the Antichrist and the ten evil rulers, uh, they somehow become jealous or upset or mad at the harlot, the false religion of the world. Now they have fed each other, they have built each other, they have promoted each other, they have worked hand in hand with each other, but now somehow they have become disgruntled with each other and they now turn on her. And instead of unity that the truth brings, instead of peace that the truth brings, instead of strength that the truth builds, under the pressure of the judgment, the wheels start to come off. And there starts to be betrayal, and there starts to be jealousy, and there starts to be division. Friends, those are all marks of Satan. And then the Bible says, and there is hatred amongst them. They turn on each other. The pressure is applied and they turn on each other and they hate the false religions of the world. Verse 17 says that's what God ordains. That's how it is. And God uses it for his purpose. They turn on each other. Verse 18. Verse 18 is a restatement. The woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Again, it's a restatement of the identity of the woman. Here, here's the point today. The truth stands. The truth endures. And Jesus prevails. What'd you learn in the 17th chapter? Here's what I learned. The truth will stand. Here's what I learned in the 17th chapter. Jesus prevails. I want to go back to our starting questions, our opening question. So therefore, friend, do you know the truth of Jesus Christ? Do you know the truth of Jesus Christ? And I'm not talking about some, some flashy tagline that you learned somewhere, not some, some thing that we picked up in a song somewhere. Do you know the truth of Jesus Christ? He is the Savior, the Christ of God. He is the answer of God for sin and for sinners. God sees our helpless estate. He sees our guilt and our shame and sin. And so he sends a kinsman, our kinsman, Redeemer, Jesus, he steps into earth. That's the truth of Jesus. He comes here to take on flesh that he might be able to save man, people. He lives a life and he never sins. The perfect lamb of God, that is the truth of Jesus. As the perfect lamb of God, he goes to the cross of Calvary, now becoming the sacrificial lamb of God there. He dies and he pays for the sin, my sin, the evil sin of mankind and it's paid for on the cross of Calvary. That's what it was. It wasn't just a Roman execution. It was the Lamb of God taking the wrath of God against sin and for sin poured out upon himself, and he dies paying the penalty for sin and for sinners on the cross of Calvary. That is the truth of Jesus. They take him off that cross. They place him in a grave. He is in that grave literally, actually, physically dead for three days. 
And on the third day, he walks out of that grave and he stands as the risen king, the risen lamb, the defeater of death, the remedy for sin, Jesus our Lord. That is the truth of Jesus. He appeared to many people. Praise the Lord, he appeared to many people. He ascends to heaven and there he sits. But I want to tell you the truth of Jesus as true as that is true as Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, he's coming as the righteous judge. And those outside of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will be condemned to an eternity apart from God and the penalty for their sin. That is the truth of Jesus. But I want to tell you this, friend, in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus, there is a way for you to be saved today. There is a way for you to escape your shame today. There is a day for you, way for you to be saved today. And and that is in the truth of Jesus. Do you know the truth of Jesus today? Have you staked your claim on Jesus today? Do you know the truth? Is it your truth today of Jesus today? First question. Second question is this. Will you stand for the truth of Jesus? I said it earlier in the sermon. Are you standing on the truth of Jesus are you still trying to play the world's games? Are you still trying to do the world's things? Or will you say, Jesus is my answer. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the truth. And so I live for Jesus. Is that the pattern of your life today? Are you standing, living on the truth of Jesus? The third question, do you hate any teaching that would lead away from the gospel, the good news of Jesus? Let me tell you something, friend. We can't compromise today. Hey, they may look like good people. Hey, man, they may come along and look like they fit in with us. Listen to me. They're trying to lead people away from the good news of our gracious Savior, Jesus. Do you hate any religion, any system opposed to the truth of Jesus? The truth will stand. The truth will stand. There's hope in the truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Praise the Lord. During Father, we come. And I'm thankful that I can be confident your truth is truth. The word of God is truth. You tell us that. And your truth will stand, it will endure. And those embracing your truth will prevail with the truth, Jesus. Lord, I pray that in the hearing of this today, that we're ready to be radically consumed by the truth. I pray for some that do not know Jesus. I pray in the hearing of the truth of Jesus this very day, Lord, that they would turn to you and they'd receive you in, in your grace by faith and be saved today. All for your glory. Lord, I pray for us as a people, for us as parents, for us as grandparents, for us as a church, that we would live out the truth of Jesus, our only hope, the only truth. And I pray, Lord, that we'd be agents of love. We cannot tolerate the message of non-truth. Lord, I pray that this message will bear fruit, not just today, but until you come again. Lord, I pray in this time of invitation that you have spoken, that you continue to speak. I pray that there's decisions to be made that, in boldness, they will be made for your glory. Lord, we, we trust that to you. And I pray all of this in Jesus, my King's name, in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna close the time of response, a time of invitation. I wanna tell you, it's the, the greatest part of this day, I believe, is the chance to respond to the truth of God's word. God's grace is offered to you today in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you'll trust him today, he'll save you today. If you've never done that, do it today. If you never said, Lord, I God, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry, forgive me. The best I know how, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you as my King and my Lord. Do it today. He'll save you today. Maybe that's your decision. In a few moments, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. If God is speaking to you, if he's spoken to you, if you have more questions, you need more information, you come. Let's settle that today. Maybe you're here and you're 
looking for a church home and you've prayed about it, you believe God has led you here, you come as well. Together we'll preach this truth, we'll uphold this banner till Jesus comes again for his glory. Maybe you're here and you've made a decision for Christ, but you've never followed in believer's baptism and you need to come today as well and say, you know what, in honor of Christ, in obedience to Christ, I want to testify to Christ in baptism. You come, we'll set it a day, it'll be a great day of celebration and rejoicing as you testify to what we believe of our Savior Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you want to come and pray with me here at the front. Maybe you want to come pray at an altar here at the front in humility. Nothing is too big, nothing is too small. Uh, I'm going to ask that no one would stir about or head for an exit, but you would pray for those who are making decisions. We stand and sing. If God is speaking to you, if he's spoken to you, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here.